Welcome to the Data Podcast. My name is Brian Ward, the creator and host of the Data Podcast. I am a coach, Marine Corps veteran, speaker, husband, and you guessed it, a dad. Are you ready to be inspired to be the best dad you can be for your family? This show will provide you with the tips, tools, and strategies to do just that. Are you a dad just going through the motions? Or are you looking to really elevate your dad game to the next level? Truth is, it is a blessing to be a dad. This is a responsibility we must take seriously. In the end, how do you want to be remembered? I hope you want to be remembered as a phenomenal dad. Your legacy starts in the home, not outside the home. If you're really ready to elevate your dad game, then make sure you bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now, let's get started. Data. Welcome to another episode of Data, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I am joined by another phenomenal guest this week, and I'm super excited to dive into the stuff that he's doing, not only the stuff that he's doing, but also his family. Um, this topic is going to be really, uh, really important for you guys to pay attention to because it's a lot of, it's an issue that a lot of people struggle with. It's sleeping. Um, and uh, a lot of people struggle with that uh, through stresses and things like that in their normal life. So um, I deal with sleep issues and uh, we're going to dive into all of that and his back history. But my good friend, Eric, Dr. Eric Corman has joined me on Dad <laughs> Up. Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Awesome. I'm I'm really excited for this conversation because, as you know, before we started recording, I told you that I deal with these these sleep episodes, and I think a lot of mine just stress and anxiety and stuff. I just wake up mm-hmm. with a lot of freaking things on my mind, and, it, and it, I could wake up at one one thirty in the morning, and I'm up for the rest of the day. I'm like I'm I'm just wide awake. Um, it's crazy. So, anyways, uh, for my listeners who may not know who you are, uh, let's dive into your back history because I know you've got a lot of experience in dealing with sports and all that other stuff. Um, so I want you to talk a little bit about yourself, let them know who you are. And then obviously this is a dad podcast. So I want to know about your kids as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I'm currently the founder and CEO of a company called aim seven. Uh, we turn wearable technology data, like from your Apple watch into personalized daily recommendations for your mind, body, and recovery to help you look, feel, and perform better. So we take away the mystery of wearables. So what if I slept six hours or walked 7,000 steps? Like, what do I do with that? So prior to starting game seven, I spent, um, 16 years, uh, in college and professional football, including the NFL, Um, I was a sports scientist and performance director and had a wonderful opportunity to work with some of the best sports teams in the U.S. And um, I guess my career took a big change in 2011 when I introduced athlete wearable tracking technology to American football. So if you've ever seen an NFL game, I know you're in California. I don't know if you're a Rams fan or not. I'm a Raider fan. (laughs) Okay, Raiders. You know, they had a big win with the dumbest play in NFL history recently. But um. Have you ever seen a game where they're like, oh, uh, so-and-so is running 20 miles an hour and they show a little tracer behind him running up the field. I brought that technology from Australia to the U.S. in 2011, and we were using, we were basically tracking our players in practice and in games. These devices we were putting on the pro- uh, players were connected to GPS satellites, and we gathered a ton of information about what was happening on the field. And we were able to turn that information into actionable recommendations for coaches and medical personnel to improve performance and reduce injuries. I was at Florida State at the time under Jimbo Fisher, 
And in one season, we had an 88% reduction in injury. Yeah. So I went to University of Kentucky, and that's where I got my PhD. And um, as I mentioned, I also, while working in football, for about 14 years, I trained a number of Olympic gold medalists in the sprint events. Uh, I got an opportunity to work in the Jamaican sprint system, and um, I noticed that the best athletes in the world, whether it was a football player or a track and field athlete, were incredibly adaptable to physical and psychological stress. You could hammer them on the field, on the track, put them under immense pressure, and we would measure certain things biologically, and we could see that they would just boop, bounce back the next day hmm. versus somebody else on the roster that was just I mean, they could be a starter, but they weren't elite. And it would like, you know, it would really drain the tank, so to speak. So I wanted to understand, I coined this adaptability, like how do we help an athlete become more adaptable to stress? So I decided to study how sleep impacts our ability to adapt to stress. And it opened up a whole world of, of things for me. And that's really kind of when I went down this rabbit hole of how do we build this capacity to adapt to more stress, not just for athletes, but for you and me. Because we're taking on stress from work, stress from family, um, all different. You know, you can't manage stress. That's a fallacy. You know, life comes at you. But what you can do is you can change how you perceive it. And you can build what I say is a bigger gas tank. So you can take on more stress with less cost. And so, um, yeah, I did that for a number of years. Had an opportunity to be in the NFL. And then made that transition to starting AIM-7 in uh, late 2020. And we just closed the seed round of financing that was just announced. And this app is going to be rolling out here in about four to six weeks. So it's been a crazy two years since leaving sports. Now I'm the head coach. Never been a head coach before, but I'm a head coach, so to speak. Um, learning a lot. Um, in regards to my family, I've been married for four, almost 14 years in January. Um, my wife, has, her name is Haley. She's a physical therapist. And I actually met her when I was at Mississippi State. She was a softball player there. Uh, we have three boys. They're 10, 7, and 2 years old. And we live in Houston, Texas. Oh, awesome. Well, very cool. Well, uh, that's awesome. I've, I've never been to Houston, but I've uh, been to Texas a few times and uh, always, always loved it there. The summer's a little hot, but uh, always loved oh, it there. Oh, my goodness. It's torture. <laughs> Um, well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, your experiences in the NFL because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in sports in general, um, because players, especially, you know, athlete pro professional athletes, they are under enormous amounts of stress and pressure. Um, not only trying to keep their bodies healthy, especially football, especially football players trying to keep their bodies healthy. Um, mm -hmm. but also, you know, they're taking tremendous amounts of impact on their bodies, um, what, you know, when it comes to sleeping, how did that, what was your recommendation with sleeping and these mm. pro athletes? Yeah. So sleep is our number one way that our body restores itself. It is our number one recovery mechanism. And, uh, it is what enables us to grow, adapt and thrive, um, without sleep. It's one of the three things that if you don't have it, you're going to die. You don't eat food, eventually you'll die. You don't drink water, eventually die. You don't sleep, eventually your body kind of erodes. And so there's a couple of things I think it's really important to understand about what's happening when we sleep. And then there's ways that we can set up the conditions for restful and fulfilling sleep. But one of the things that's happening when you sleep at night 
is that your brain is literally detoxifying itself. And this is something that we've learned in the past 10 to 11 years, and it's uncovering a lot of the mystery behind sleep. So you know when you have a great night of sleep, you wake up and you feel really rejuvenated, and then you get a terrible night's sleep, and you're like, kind of got brain fog, and you just feel like crap. Well, the reason is literally your brain doesn't have what's called a lymphatic system, which the rest of your body uses to clear waste. It has this thing called a glymphatic system. And when you sleep, these channels open up, okay? And then metabolic waste products from your brain, like amyloid beta, which is associated with Alzheimer's disease and neurodegeneration is flushed out. Mm. What we are finding is, is when you do not get enough sleep, that your brain is literally, you are, your brain is clogged up and it's actually accelerating the process of neurodegeneration. So your brain needs you to sleep. Another thing that happens when you sleep is that um, uh, restoration of your tissues occur. So hormones like growth hormone increase when you go to bed, especially in the early part of sleep. And growth hormone is a hormone released from your pituitary gland that is used for tissue regeneration. Um, Also, later at night, testosterone is released. As a matter of fact, most of our testosterone as men is released during the later parts of sleep. And fragmented sleep or sleep apnea can dramatically reduce your testosterone level. So if anybody out there has got low T and they're thinking about TRT, try to solve sleep first. Any good doc is going to take a look at that first. Um, And then the third thing is memory and learning. So what happens during the day is, I don't want to get too complicated, but I want you to really understand the linkage here. You know, if you're... um, If you want to be a high performer, you want to be excellent at anything, you have to deliberately engage in stress. If you want to physically change your body as an athlete, what do you do? You engage in the stress of training. If you want to learn a new skill, you have to deliberately engage in the stress of learning, right? What happens when you're trying to learn a new skill or engaging in something difficult, your brain has the ability to rewire itself. It's called neuroplasticity. It can literally change itself in response to experience. You get a sense of agitation. You ever sat down to like study something that's new and hard and you got, oh, it kind of sucks. Like this is, this is difficult. That's your body increasing adrenaline. What also happens at the same time is these neuromodulators go in your brain and they mark like a little flag, the neurons that were used when you were learning that material. And then when you sleep at night, your brain actually strengthens those connections and it selectively weakens others. So the use it or lose it thing kind of really exists. So the three big things that happen when you sleep is you have brain detoxification, tissue restoration, memory and learning consolidation. Those are like three huge big bucket items. So now you can see why as an athlete, it's really important that you get your rest. If you want to heal your body, you need to get your sleep. If you want to, uh, You know, if you want to take care of your brain health, you need to get your sleep. If you want to learn all, if you want to take all the struggle and hard work that you're doing in the film room, in the playbook, then a practice on the field, and you want to cement that into long-term memory, you need to get your sleep. Um, The next question I always get is, well, great. How do I get better sleep? You know, that's that's the one of the things that frustrates me about these wearables is like it shows you you're sleeping bad and you're like, well, OK, what do I do now? Um, and you mentioned stress earlier. 
the number one thing that you can do to set your body up for great sleep is related to the first thing that you do in the morning. Mm. And that is your relationship to sunlight. So there's something called the circadian clock. We have this 24 hour rhythm, right? That our body operates on the light dark cycle. And our circadian clock is trained or entrained by several things, but the strongest one is light. Okay. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you need to do is walk outside and view sunlight. If it's a bright morning, five to 10 minutes is all you need. If it's overclassed and cloudy, cloudy, like it is kind of this time of year, you probably need to get chunks of time up to 15 to 20 minutes in total before 10 a.m. And here's why. Light comes into your eyes and it sends a signal to this thing that sits up on the top of the roof of your mouth. It's called the circadian pacemaker, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. This thing then sends a signal to every cell in your body that it's time to be alert and awake by increasing something called cortisol, the stress hormone. You've ever heard of that? It's not a bad thing. You want a huge spike in cortisol in the morning. It's going to make you feel alert and energized. And then it also increases body temperature. I just had uh, Dr. Michelle Gums on my podcast, The Blueprint, and she's one of the best circadian biologists in the world. And we are learning the relationship between this one behavior now and things like depression, anxiety. It literally sets your, it's the number one behavior that will set your body up to deal better with stress and adapt to it. So you want to go to do that sunlight because it's going to increase cortisol, increase body temperature. It's going to say, hey, Brian, it's time to be awake. But this is the other thing that it does. It turns on like this internal clock. And it says 12 to 15 hours later, increase the sleepy hormone melatonin, which is going to make you sleepy when you go to bed at night. When we are, our bodies were not designed to be indoors all day long. Mm -hmm. It's only happened in the past 100, 150 years where we're kind of domesticating ourselves. We work from a agrarian to, to, you know, industrial society. Now this kind of knowledge worker society, and we are completely desynchronized from our environment. And this uncoupling is ruining our health. Quite literally, this is the number one thing that you can do. I've had people that have struggled with sleep. They just don't feel like they can go to bed at night. Viewing sunlight five to 10 minutes first thing in the morning. Get at least 10 minutes for 10 a.m. Do that for two weeks. You will be shocked mm. at what begins to happen. Um, there's a couple other things, but I want to kind of see you know, where you're at with this. Does this make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't know that about the, about sunlight. I, I had no clue. I've heard people that say, you know, you want to get, uh, feel rejuvenated, um, take a cold shower or to, or splash cold water on your face, that kind of thing to mm -hmm. kind of shock your system. I've heard that kind of stuff, but nothing about, uh, sunlight. Uh, so that's interesting, but I want to ask you this because you're yeah. talking about sleep and we need to get the right amount of sleep and we need it. Yeah. Okay. Great doc. So what's the right amount of sleep? Is it four yeah. hours? Is it six hours? Is it eight hours? I'm sure you get that question a lot too. Yeah. Seven to nine. Um, there is no, if you're, if you're sitting here going, Oh, I'm fine on, you know, six hours a night, I'm telling you right now, you are not, um, it, that you do not have the genetic polymorphism that allows you to sleep, you know, five hours a night and thrive. It just, I can just promise you right now that that is not you. And that is 
it, it you must have seven nights, seven to nine hours. There's what's called there's an inverted you relationship between this seven and nine hour thing. And here's what I mean by this: research demonstrates that people that sleep less than seven hours and more than nine hours have a greater incidence of type two diabetes, hmm. cardiovascular disease, and it literally will cut your life short. So, in a scientific perspective, if you want to understand how a behavior impacts um, expression of genes or longevity, you look at twins. So you look at, um, you look at twins that are, um, identical twins because they have a very close genetic makeup. And then you see what happens when one twin does one thing and another twin does another thing. And there was a 20 year study of over 21,000 twin pairs. And they found that the twin that slept less than seven hours a night had an increased risk of all cause mortality by 24%. Wow. That's absolutely insane. That's staggering. Yes. And so seven to nine hours is what the National Sleep Foundation says. My research for my dissertation was we actually looked at, this is SEC football players, and we could measure things in their brain, uh, and we could figure out how much sleep do they need to be ready to adapt to stress. Seven to nine is what we found. It's just what the body needs. Um, and most of us overestimate how much sleep that we get by about 30 minutes. So if you want to get seven, you need to be in bed for at least seven and a half. Okay. But there's two other things that I would highly recommend that we pay attention to, not just duration, but the timing of our sleep and the onset of sleep. So, um, a lot of people always ask me, so is 12 to 8 the same thing as like 10 to 6? No, it is not. Uh, there was research done recently by folks at the Broad Institute at MIT and Harvard and the University of Colorado. And the study was done with almost 700,000 people in what's called the UK Biobank. They looked at uh, all this data from this biobank. They looked at 23andMe genetic data. They also use questionnaires and activity trackers. So they had a very rich data set. Here's what they found. Shifting your, your onset time of sleep back one hour. So let's say you go to bed at midnight and you shifted it back to 11, resulted in a 23% reduction in major depression. Huh. Shifting it back two hours was almost a 40% reduction. Now, this effect is more pronounced if you're going to bed after midnight. So the ideal time you should be in bed is, you know, definitely before midnight, 10 to 11 is more is the most ideal duration of time. And you know what they found that this all went back to? People that went to bed earlier, woke up earlier, and they viewed more sunlight. Because hmm. that signal is what sets off this cascade of all these events. You're going to feel better. You're going to have more energy. It's going to impact your mood, your metabolism, and it's going to set off that internal clock to go to sleep later at night. And the last thing I would say is consistency. So there's this phenomenon called social jet lag. If you've ever had jet lag before, it's terrible. Like you fly to I flew to Australia and then I come back and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is the worst, you know, or you go three time zones or whatever. Um, when you have one sleep routine during the week and then another on the weekends, which happens with a lot of people, right? Like maybe they're in bed at 11, they're getting up at six during the week and then Friday night, Saturday night, they're going to 
whatever, sleep in late. This dissynchronization of your sleep schedule leads to a lot of things like weight gain, depression, increases cardiometabolic risk. So you want to keep a very consistent sleep routine. You want to be have the very, as close to one, like a one hour bandwidth is okay, but you don't want to be sleeping until nine on Saturday when you usually sleep into six. So let's make this really simple for folks. Well, I, th- I think you're, I think you're going to, I think you're going to upset folks because they're so used to <laughs> sleeping in on the weekend. It's like, Oh, it's the weekend. I get to sleep in tomorrow. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. Well, if you're sleeping enough, if you're consistently getting enough sleep, you won't feel the need to sleep in. Does that make sense? Yeah. And really you'll be waking up at around within 30 to 45 minutes of when you normally do. So on a weekend, if I'm doing it right and I'm not, look, you need to live life. You need to go out and have dinner. You need to have a Netflix binge. You know what I'm saying? But 90% of the time, if you stick to these basic habits, your metabolic health's going to improve. Your risk of all cause mortality is going to decrease. You're going to be, you're going to have a better mood. You're going to be a better dad. You're not going to be emotionally reactive. You're going to be able to respond to stress and not react to it, which is when we typically get ourselves in trouble, right? As parents, we react to situations instead of like responding in a thoughtful way, which I'm very guilty of preaching to the choir here, but we all want to set ourselves up. We want to create the conditions to be the best dad possible. If you take the lead on this with yourself your spouse and even your kids, like in the mornings, we get our kids outside. My little two-year-old loves to come outside with me in the morning, just stand on the porch. My wife and I will stand out there and just look at the sun. Um, and it's be- I, I've, I've helped hundreds of people with this. They've turned it into a family ritual. They, you know, give their kids a hug and they just kind of spend some time out there. It will wake everybody up because think about what happens to kids too. They're in the house, they hop in the car, they go to school. They don't see the sun. Mm. And by the way, looking through a window is 50 times less effective. Mm. You literally have to get out of your car and look at the sun. Wow. Now, don't burn your eyes, but you right. know what I'm saying. Get right. the point. Yes. Yeah. Get in. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, gosh, I mean, so much, it's such great information. I appreciate it. Um, I want to, I want to ask you this though, as parents, yeah. you know, parents struggle with sleep, you know, between their work environment, their stresses yes. that they deal with, with bills and all that kind of stuff. And then they got to run little Johnny and little Susan to their practices or games or whatnot. And so they're constantly going and, you know, as parents may struggle with falling asleep at night, uh, they may Mm. struggle with, because they're so amped up. Um, What, Mm. what do you think are some ways that may help parents to fall asleep easier? Yeah. So number one, view morning sunlight. Okay. If you've listened to anything I say today, get yourself 10 minutes in the morning. Uh, next thing is, is you got to set up your relationship at night with light correctly. So think about this. If, if light is an alerting signal in the morning, what do you think it is in the evening? Right. Right. So start dimming the, uh, lights in your house, especially overhead lights. Okay. Um, number two is, um, you want to make sure, you know, you can have a pre-sleep routine. So caffeine, make sure to cut it off by 2 PM. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because the half-life of caffeine is six hours, which means like, let's say you have, 
nobody drinks one cup of coffee. The average mug is, let's say, two cups of coffee, right? So let's say 200 milligrams of caffeine. At eight o'clock, you have 100 milligrams still in your system. So because that's the half-life. So you're still getting this. Um, there's just something called the autonomic nervous system. You're still cranked up that sympathetic nervous system to be aroused and awake and alert, right? So you want to cut that off as early as you possibly can. And if you're viewing sunlight in the morning, you start getting these routines in place, you'll feel like you don't need as much caffeine. So number one is cut your caffeine off by 2 p.m. Um, number two, um, I would say that you you don't want to be drinking fluid, especially as you age, within about an hour of bedtime. For some of you, maybe 90 minutes. Because what, what's going to happen? You're going to wake up and you're going to pee, right? You don't want that all night long. You want to start dimming the lights in the house, Okay. About an hour before bed, one of the worst things you can do is get in bed, grab your phone, and look at social media. Because you may start feeling like you're ready to go to sleep, but guess what's going to happen? You're going to look at the social media, and it's not just the light that's going to be the issue. It's going to be emotional arousal. Okay, that's going to really kind of crank you up. Uh, a couple nights ago, you know, I'm not perfect. Grab my phone to look at something before I knew it. Now I'm wired, right? It was a dumb decision. So I try to get my phone away kind of about an hour before to bed. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that, you know, I'm turning that stuff off. And then one of the other things you can do is, remember I mentioned when you view sunlight, you get the signal that increases body temperature, which increases alertness. When you go to sleep at night, your body temperature needs to come down. It actually decreases at night. So if you take a hot shower or a hot bath, the reaction to of the body to that is to try to cool itself faster. So it will actually help you drop body temperature about 30 minutes later. So maybe a hot shower to kind of relax yourself about 30 minutes before you go to bed. And that's going to increase. It's going to decrease body temperature a little bit later. Make sure your room is cool. So uh, if you can remember this, make your room like a cave, cold, dark, and quiet. So no light coming in, you know, if you, you know, turn off the, you know, make sure that there's no light coming from the door, make sure your cell phone's not turned up. So if you're getting text messages at night, um, you know, that your, your phone's not going off, turn that thing over, put it away. Um, make sure your, uh, curtains are closed. If you need to get blackout curtains, that's great. Uh, so you got the temperature import is important as well. 69 degrees or less right now we're moving into wintertime. Should be a lot easier, you know, to do that. Just, you know, either turn off your heater or keep it down low, maybe crack a window and then quiet. Um, you want a consistent volume of noise. Now, look, we all have kids, you know, a lot of us have kids and that are listening to this, right? We're dads. So two-year-old, one-year-old, there's going to be some craziness, but as much as you can, you know how we put white noise makers in the kids' rooms? Sometimes that helps us too. If you live in a busy city where there's a lot of traffic, that's a good idea. So cold, dark, and quiet. And what about uh, television? I know parents, uh, maybe even kids, Oof. turn on television as they're laying in bed. Uh, I have a habit of doing that. I mean, is that's I've heard that 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 should be shut off as well. Oh, one hundred percent. I wish I there's a paper I need to pull up. Um, I just saw this recently because I was working on a piece of content on this. 
but uh, people that view that have low levels of light in the room, especially TVs, it also can worsen cardiometabolic uh, disease risk factors. It's it's just really bad. It's detrimental to sleep um, because you're not able to get into restful sleep like you need to. So turn it all off. Um, if you need something to calm you down, like you're still feeling hyped up, a couple things you can try, some breathing techniques. So the breath is an excellent way to regulate your stress systems. Um, and what you can do is, is double your exhale duration in relationship to your inhale. So you mm -hmm. would breathe in for four seconds, exhale for eight seconds, or breathe in for si three seconds, exhale for six seconds. Uh, what that's going to do is it's actually going to scale down your, uh, your stress system and it's going to allow you to move into a state of relaxation. So you could try that for a couple of minutes. And then um, if that doesn't work, I recently had Dr. Amy Bender on and she taught me this. I'd never heard of this. It's called the cognitive shuffle. So what you would do is, you know, when you go to bed, kind of close your eyes, your mind just starts processing all sorts of stuff. And then before you know it, you're kind of off in this into sleep, right? You can kind of simulate that with um, you would take the word bedtime. And you would go B, bed. And then you would start thinking of all the words that start with B. Boy, big, band, banjo. You just go through them until you can't think of another one. Then you go to E, echo, elephant, blah, 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 blah. Before you know it, before you get to the last E with bedtime, your brain has kind of started to decompress. So start with breath work, three to five minutes. Go to the cognitive shuffle. If you still can't fall asleep, get out of bed. Go to someplace dark. Don't flip on the overhead lights, you know, and do something relaxing. And then when you start feeling like it's time to go back to bed, then go to bed. Cause you don't want to associate your bed with restlessness. Interesting. Um, yeah. The, one of the things that I heard just recently, and I thought it would have the opposite effect. Uh, but I heard that counting backwards by three from starting from 300, and I thought, okay, that would take a while. Uh, so <laughs> you're going to be laying there. But my first thought was, well, a lot of people aren't used to counting backwards by three, especially starting at 300. So I would think that that's going to activate my brain to get me to think more. And I would just think it would have the opposite effect of making me sleep. But I heard somebody, and I don't remember who it was. I heard somebody uh, say that that's a good technique. <laughs> I've never tried it, but... Things that are distracting that kind of get your mind off the fact that I'm trying to fall asleep. Um, that you know the best nights are when you just kind of hit the pillow and you're just your brain's off in Wonderland. And so you want to kind of foster that environment of moving into a state of relaxation and kind of letting your thoughts just drift off. Yeah. Um, all right. So now we're going to talk about other than sunlight, waking up in the morning because one of the struggles that parents face um, probably pretty regularly, if not every day, uh, especially through the school years, um, getting my kids out of bed. It's just one of the <laughs> biggest struggles that parents face, you know, getting my kids yeah. up because they just want to continue to sleep. Um, what would you, what, what tips, advice would you give to parents that, that have trouble getting their kids out of bed in the morning? Same thing that you would do. We're, you know, God created us all very similar, right? It's one design. That's the, that's the beautiful thing about it, right? It's not like, uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a car and 
these are motors, you know, it's all the same thing. We have the same engine, the same nervous system, the same physiology. And yes, some of our kids, I have my middle son, he pops out of bed and he is like ready to go, right? Our oldest son, that is not the case. And so we found number one, he has to get to bed on time. They both fall asleep really quick. And if you create an environment of safety for your children, I think you find that they will fall asleep faster. I think I listened to one of your shows with John Gordon and John was talking about having this talk at the end of the day about success. You know, what was the thing that you did? Well, there's an excellent episode, by the way. Thank you. And, um, uh, I think that sets our kids up for a peaceful night of sleep for us. We read the Bible. Um, I talk about the, you know, things that went well, you know, the, their wins of the day, I try to hug them, you know, sometimes I lay with them and we talk and then those kids are out. Uh, but making sure that they're getting to bed on time, which kids need more than seven to nine hours. There are more in the nine to 10 hour range. Um, and so that's a whole nother issue with school starting way early in the morning. It's just detrimental. Uh, so getting your kids to bed on time when they get up, making sure that they're also trying to get some sunlight. And so there's different ways to do this. And I know people are always like, well, it's cold outside right now. Okay. Put on a jacket. This is, you can take as a parent, you can take anything and make it fun. You can turn it into our thing. This is what we do. Maybe tell them about why God created the sun. The sun is what helps us. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. Um, it's a big ball of fire. It's a lot of energy. It's going to help you with energy. You can think of some crazy stuff, get them anchoring their circadian clock. And then uh, you got to create the conditions in the environment for them to fall asleep. So around eight o'clock, start dimming the lights in the house. You know, um, you know, we don't watch TV during the week with the kids. We don't really watch TV. We don't have time, we, <laughs> but we try to limit that to weekend. Most of the screen time, if you know, but you know, get them off of that stuff. Um, something else that can disrupt sleep. I didn't bring this up earlier is eating really late. Hmm. Uh, if you wear a wearable device, you'll notice for a lot of people, I'd say 60 to 70% of people, if you eat late, your heart rate's going to be elevated. You're with something called heart rate variability, which is a measure of how your body's adapting to stress is going to lower, which is not good. Um, because your body's now having to, food is a stress. The body has to deal with it. And so it's better to eat earlier. I try to have my last meal no later than 5.30 or 6. And we do jujitsu as a family. And the only time for us to do jujitsu is at night. I don't eat after that because uh, I'll be up. I've just noticed. Uh, and I look at this stuff all the time. It's what I do for a living. And if I eat late, it wrecks my sleep and my recovery is terrible. Hmm. All right. Um well, I mean, that's, those are, those are all great points and something that, that parents need to try to incorporate. Uh, I know it can be tough, but, uh, you know, you mentioned wearable devices and I know there are several out there that you can buy that you can sleep with to kind of give you a guidance of how your sleep has, has how your sleep went through the night, uh, whether you're in this, in that deep sleep or, um, so I'm curious though, on those wearable devices, how accurate are they? Cause I've always thought about oh. that. I can't imagine wearing something while I'm trying to sleep. Like I take my watch off, all that kind of stuff, but how accurate are those, uh, those wearable devices? It's a wonderful question. Um, not accurate from the standpoint of sleep stages. 
uh, when it says deep and REM and all that kind of stuff, the research is pretty clear that it's not accurate. The only way that you can accurately assess that is through something called polysomnography. It's like where they put that thing on your head. It's got all the probes and it's just now with artificial intelligence, you know, Apple just released all, you know, I, they have the money, but I haven't seen the papers yet. So the research that's out right now says this stuff is not accurate. What is accurate is duration. There's something called actigraphy. It's a, there's an accelerometer that goes in these devices. And they can tell by movement of your limb when you fell asleep, roughly within a 15 to 20 minute range. And when you woke up, that stuff is accurate. Heart rate during sleep, very accurate. Measuring heart rate variability. So um, the Apple Watch is a wonderful device. Problem with it is the battery dies. People don't charge it. You know, they, they usually at night is when they charge it. But that's a really important thing to, to get. So I tell people to wake up in the morning and charge their Apple Watch. Um, the Aura device is really good. It's a ring. So I, I have a wearable company. So I'm wearing an Aura and I have an Apple Watch. And the Aura people love because it's it's what I use for my wedding band. Um, it looks good. It measures all these different biological things. So sleep, resting heart rate, um, O2, SAT, all this, all the uh, biometrics that I want. But then again, at the end of the day, what do you do with it? It's just data. Right. And I think everybody knows like you're a coach data without insight is completely useless. Right. So you have to know how to go, okay, this is what it is. Now, what do I need to do to level up? What are the, you know, what tools do I need? What habits should I be focusing on so I can move the needle? Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a massive opportunity for that. Do you think that, that, cause I've, I've seen the aura before. Do you think that's a, I thought about that with kids. Do you think, I mean, that would be a great tool for parents to use if their kids wore that, you know, while they slept, you know, wore that while they were sleeping, especially to kind of gauge how their child's doing throughout the night. You could, I've never thought about it. Um, you know, there's things that you can put in the bed or underneath the mattress where you can measure those things. Um, I'm typically not concerned about it. Like I know they, you know, you open the door 20 minutes after they go to bed and if most kids are sound asleep. Mm -hmm. It's just the duration of time that they're getting. So I, I really like people to focus on how are you creating the conditions for restful and fulfilling sleep? If you do the basic things to create the conditions for it, it's going to happen. It's kind of like winning. You want to focus on the process and not the outcome. Process-related goals usually lead to outcome results. And so what we want to do is create the conditions for it. How do we create the conditions for it? Well, we view sunlight. We make sure we're you know making our house darker as the day goes on. We're shutting off the, the phones and the, and the screens about an hour before we go to bed. Our room is cold, dark, and quiet like a cave. Um, all those things. And I will make this note really quick for parents. Melatonin is not something you want to be giving your kids. Hmm. Uh, it actually delays the onset of puberty. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, melatonin is something the pineal gland in the brain actually should naturally be producing. Um, and actually the cells, the mitochondria, the powerhouses of your cells create melatonin too. It's actually a powerful antioxidant. Getting sun in your eyes helps with melatonin production. Getting sun on your skin helps with melatonin production in those mitochondria. So um, if you want to use it yourself, I don't recommend being reliant upon it, but there are some times in life where 
you're super stressed or things happen or you move time zone. And I think it's appropriate to use it at those times, but it's not something I would recommend consistently using on a daily basis. Hmm. You know, I was thinking about that because um, the different things that you talked about there, my older son, he's 24 uh, mm -hmm. and he does have trouble uh, sleeping. Like he, they're, they're not every night, but there are nights where he just struggles with his sleep. And you mentioned caffeine and he's a gym rat. He goes to the gym at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And the first thing he does is he pre-workout pre -workout. and I'm yep. like, okay, well, he just said no later than two o'clock. And here he is four or five o'clock drinking a drinking a pre-workout most then, of those things have about 300 milligrams of caffeine yeah so you got to think about it if he takes it five at 11 o'clock at night he's still got a cup of coffee in his system yeah and then i'm thinking about okay his screen time he has a tv and you know he uh he works in sales he's in corporate graduated college and so he's saving money right now so he lives at home still and he watches his tv while he's going to sleep at night now his room is his lights off and his room's dark other yeah. than the tv but i'm like okay well there's two things right there that are completely Boom. impacting his his sleep and I, I don't know if I could get him away from it. I doubt it. He's 24. Well, have him listen gonna... to this show. Uh, but, you know, with him, I would just start with the sunlight thing. And you go, he can go Google it and he will find out like this. It, this is biology. It's hardwired into us. There's nothing. You can't skirt this issue. Um, if you start with the sunlight in the morning and then you just make the make the, the relationship between when the sun's up, you're up. When the sun's down, we should be going down. We should be dimming the lights in our house. Um, the I don't know if you've ever been, like, we used to live in Kentucky, right? We had this basement. Whenever I needed a great night of sleep, I went to the basement. There was no windows. It was cold. And I would sleep so well. Think about it. We, we cut out all that stuff. And your body is going to do what it's designed to do. So we just need to create and foster the environment to let our body do what it's been designed for. Mm. That's great. Um, yeah. My wife is, uh, you're talking about, you know, the room cold and dark and my wife, especially this time of year, she complains that the house is constantly cold. Well, it's crazy. She will, she wants to get into a cold bed. Uh, <laughs> she wants to cover up with the blanket, but she wants to crank up the heater. And I'm like, wow, you, you, you're cold, you're getting in a blanket and you're turning up the heater. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> so yeah. My, so so my are you cooking? <laughs> Am I cooking? Are you, yes. Are you, are yes. You, yeah. Okay. That yeah. That's an issue right there. So if you can afford it, um, there are these mats that you can sleep on a company called uh, Uller. Um, they make a my sleep or something. Ooh, anyways, it's this cooling pad. You don't have to get the whole mattress thing, but you can have one on your side. And yes, it's really good. If people have different body temperatures, you know, all this kind of stuff and you can cool yourself at night so you can fall asleep faster. But yeah, that that's the hard thing about, you know, we love our spouses, but thankfully my wife and I kind of have similar body temperatures and everything, but those things can create a little bit of physical, yeah. tension <laughs> no for sure I, I have heard of the cooling mats and i have considered uh getting that i may have to look that up more um well listen i uh if, if my listeners wanted to look you up learn a little bit more about you maybe they have questions yeah. um it, where what's the best place for them to find you do all that stuff yeah so a couple places one um 
I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter at Eric Corum, E-R-I-K-K-O-R-E-M. I have a podcast called The Blueprint. And what we do is we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics. So our episodes are 15 minutes. So I'll do something like 15 minutes on the way to school, you can learn about this or that. So we try to take these tools and make them very accessible. And then if you have a wearable and you want to turn it into something that actually improves your health and performance instead of just data on a screen, uh, check out aim7.com, A-I-M-7.com. Cool. The number seven or spelled out? The number seven. Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, listen, uh, Eric, thank you very much for joining yeah. me on Dad Up, man. I really appreciate all the information you shared with me. And like I said, I told you before we started recording, I may be reaching out to you because uh, there's there's things that I need to work on myself. And clearly you've brought that to my attention in our conversation. <laughs> well, consider me a resource and a friend. Call uh, me anytime. I appreciate it, brother. Uh, so thank you again. Listen, everybody, uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about Eric, what he does, uh, maybe you want to check out AIM7, please do that. If you have questions, maybe you're struggling, maybe we didn't answer a question that you had uh, in this episode here, uh, reach out to him because I'm sure that he'd be more than happy to answer any questions you have. I'm so thankful that he was able to join me really on short notice. We just set this up a couple of days ago and, and I'm so thankful that he was able to join me. This is a lot of great information. I hope you got a lot out of it. So thank you again to my good friend, Dr. Eric Corman for joining me. And as always, if you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel yet, make sure you do that. Check out my podcast, check out his podcast as well. The blueprint, make sure you guys are looking at his podcast and listening to uh, the different things that he talks about on his show, but make sure you guys are subscribed to both of our shows. Um, so you don't miss any of the important information or any of the important guests that, that uh, I may have on or that he may have on. So thank you guys very much for joining me on another episode of dad up. I look forward to seeing you all on the next one. Wow, another amazing episode in the books. So much was shared, and I'm truly grateful my guest was able to pour into you to help you elevate your dad game and really dad up. Make sure you bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're here, please don't forget to leave me a rating and a review. I always appreciate the feedback. Also, did you know you can watch the video interview of this episode? You can by simply going to my YouTube channel at Dad Up Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to my channel. And one last thing, don't forget, your role as a dad is one of the most important roles you have. So if you need a little help or have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my website at daduptribe.com or at my Instagram page at daduppodcast. Until next time, everyone, dad up.